Well, welcome everybody to Dropping Keys, conversations and insights about life, leadership, love, and whatever else we get into. I'm Joel Morgan, your co-conspirator and the head of Key Exploration. I'm a professional coach, facilitator, and inspirational speaker who seeks to inspire meaningful conversations to move people, communities, couples, families, organizations forward. What you have just opened up is an A volume. It's an extension of the previous conversation where I take a deeper dive into one or more of the ideas or keys dropped. In this case, a compliment to volume 19 with co-conspirator Heather Harmon. This is volume 19, but hang on just a second. Dropping Keys is the title of a poem by Hafez, a 14th century mystic and poet. And this is where the podcast, The Small Man, builds cages for everyone he knows. While the sage, who has to duck his head when the moon is low, keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful, rowdy prisoner. Now, if you haven't listened to Volume 19, of course, I encourage you to engage that conversation, conversation I had with Heather. These conversations do take on a different kind of life when I hear them again, and I'm so grateful for my co-conspirators and would love for you to recommend more to me. Drop me an email at joel at joelmorgan.com. And if you love this podcast, if you enjoy it, would you give it some love by going to joelmorgan.com backslash pay and helping to support its production without commercials, except this one. Strong, independent, self-sufficient. These are words, ideas that we would all love to embody, I think, and I, it is what seems to be expected of us as we mature and grow. In our, and the opposite side of this, or what seems to be the opposite side of that, are these words. Weak, codependent, needy, high maintenance. Until recently, I, I believe that becoming and embodying that first set of words, strong, independent, self-sufficient, was a life's purpose. I also thought that I wouldn't need anyone else once I became these things, that once I was strong and independent and self-sufficient, that I would really just feel fine and be great and, you know, everything would just flow along perfectly. I think it's funny. I mean, people tell you that it's good to ask for help, but should someone who is strong, independent, and self-sufficient ever need to ask? It seems like a contradiction or maybe just a paradox. I mean, I began to figure that if I had to ask for help or, or ask for more from a relationship, it meant that I was needy. I mean, I knew I wasn't high maintenance, of course. I mean, that's a different level of neediness, right? Like most people I encounter, I had absorbed, I think, that being needy equals bad. So learn to be self-sufficient and independent, strong. Otherwise, you could become codependent which is B-A-D with all caps, two underlines, and a few exclamation points, and we'll talk about that later. So, for most of my life, I rarely asked for help. I did it myself. I tried to get what I wanted and needed for myself. And much of the time, to be honest, I felt alone and frustrated that others didn't step up to take care of things that I thought needed attention or things that were obvious in my mind that would be helpful. Then, I began to encounter the ideas around attachment theory. Now, if you want to know more about attachment theory, I recommend two books, Attached and Polysecure. Two very different books, but they can give you some foundation uh, around attachment theory, or just Google it and start reading and and looking into it. I'm not going to try to go into it too much 
in detail today, except for how it relates to me and feeling. Attachment theory holds that we all have these styles for relating to our attachment figures in our life. What I'll share is that my style is called an insecure attachment style. I desire more contact or reassurance from my attachment figure than others might. As you can imagine, pair the expectation that one is not supposed to need to ask for anything and an insecure attachment style, and you wonder why I felt frustrated and alone. I wasn't getting what I needed, and I wasn't asking. But one of the beautiful realizations I took away from the book Attached was that one attachment style wasn't necessarily better or worse than the other. Some of them are a little more complicated, maybe a little more difficult. But knowing your attachment style would help you figure out what you need and then learn how to ask for it. With this knowledge and way of interacting, then relationships could become more fulfilling and dynamic. I also began to understand a different way of viewing dependent. Here's what I mean. As I mentioned before, everyone knows what codependence is. It is B-A-D, double underline, capital letters, exclamation points, right? This term got this commentation primarily from its affiliation with the world of addiction. Addicts, their children, their families are often called codependent and spend time in recovery or in Al-Anon or other family programs working to break the codependent cycle, and this is good and necessary work. But this focus on codependent equals wrong fed into the American idea of self-sufficiency. So you're supposed to be fiercely independent, get what you want, stand up for yourself, etc., and not be dependent, especially codependent, on any. But hang on for a second. The, the biological evolutionary fact is we were created for community. We were made, or at least there's an argument to be made, that we were made to depend on one another. We enter into dependence, and in a healthy way, it is actually better for us. We need each other to survive. You probably know this already, but studies have been done, or at least maybe I shouldn't say studies have been done, but we have noted that if you feed a baby, give them all the nourishment they need, but withhold touch or connection, they will die. But I bought the idea that if I had to ask for what I needed, I was being needy. And if I were too needy, I would be high maintenance. And of course, that is nothing to aspire to. But this key to beginning to understand my attachment style and the fact that we need each other, that we need to create beautiful relationships of interdependence, that's the key for me, started to set me free from the cage of loneliness and gave me the courage to begin thinking about what I really needed from my relationship. I began to see that the needs that I had were not bad in and of themselves and that as I began to figure out what I truly wanted and needed from my relationships and from my life and I could begin to ask for that or seek that in an appropriate way, the better my life would be. And then in our Dropping Keys conversation, Heather Harmon said, I think in talking about her work with the Gottman, is you cannot really get to your needs until you identify your... I asked her to repeat it. You cannot really get to your needs until you identify your feeling. Oh, now we're on to something. Because over the past few years, I realized that my personality connected with the feelings of those around me. And not, and not just connected, what I mean by that is that I never really knew how I was actually feeling. 
I felt whatever the other person felt or whatever the group was feeling. I, if, if the group was happy, then I felt happy. If it was sad, then I was sad. If, I, I didn't really have a solid inner connection with how I was feeling at any given time or in any given situation other than I know that I felt anger and frustration a lot of the time. I mean, this is helpful and it helps me because I can, I can match the energy of a room. I can read the energy of a room. I can understand what's happening with individuals. It's great in my coaching work. But it also at times left me depleted and unsure about how I actually felt about anything at all. When I came to know this about myself, I I began, of course, some self-discovery. I focused my meditations on how I felt, what my emotions were, and I watched how those feelings and those emotions came. I began to work on a more extensive feeling vocabulary. Now, I've read and I've, I've used, engaged with Dr. Mark Brackett's Permission to Feel. That's the book, Permission to Feel. Brene Brown recently published a book called Atlas of the Heart, which defines feeling words and, and how we use them. And I, I recommend them to the work, figuring out what you're actually feeling like, and trying to find more nuanced words, more, more accurate words around them. Is re- and sometimes I, to be honest, focus too much on figuring out just the right word for how I'm feeling. So then I get wrapped around the spindle about, well, what is the exact word? Most people agree that there are five basic feelings. Anger, sadness, joy slash happiness, fear, and creativity slash... So just knowing these five can be a start. The other feelings, in some sense, are, are some permutation uh, nuance of uh, or mix of those five. And this therapists and researchers say that those who have a more nuanced feeling vocabulary can also manage their emotions better. But now back to Heather. Feelings and needs. If I'm feeling frustrated with a friend or my partner, maybe I haven't asked them for what I need. Identifying how I'm feeling also helps determine what I might ask for and if it's something they can or might even be willing to give of course, how I asked for that is also very... Now, while we're talking about feelings, I, I was reminded uh, by a preschool teacher about what she tries to teach some of her uh, charges. Feelings come and feelings go. And every time I think about that, I think that the Buddhists are clapping their hands. Feelings are like thoughts. We have tens of thousands of thoughts a day. They rise up. They fall away. Emotions are the same. Feelings are the same. Unless we grab onto them, hold tight, and tell ourselves stories about them, that's when they can persist. But if we allow them to rise up, note them, notice them, maybe see what what they want or, or what they're trying to tell us, and then allow them to move on, they might not persist. The fact that they rise up and fall away is why it isn't easy to recreate that feeling you had on that mountain when you felt so connected one day. Or that particular feeling that you had with that particular person in this particular place, that it, it never comes back in quite the same way. That feeling is gone. And no matter what story you tell or the situation you try to conjure, you won't ever feel the same way. So when we're feeling needy, we owe it to ourselves and our loved ones to identify our feelings, to ask for what our feelings want and need. What is it trying to tell us? And to let it go. And then we can also allow that feeling to help us decide whether it's right or wrong to ask for. For example, 
if your partner or someone you live with doesn't take out the trash and it's their time to take the trash, you might be really pissed. You might be really angry and you might be frustrated too because you're, it's the sixth time that they've done this this month that, that, that you've had to take the trash out. Well, so you identify what you're feeling. What is it trying to tell you? What is, what's happening? And then you begin to think, well, what, what do I need to ask for in this situation? What do I really need out of this situation? What might make it better? And then you can move into a process for how you ask for that. And I'll tell you what, the Gottmans have some really wonderful videos and, and things on YouTube and around. If you can go to Gottman.com, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, to find some of their teachings. But just remember, so much of everything begins with an I statement. If you're going to ask for something that you need, you begin with I. You don't start with, you don't do this. Or you keep doing that. You start with I. And there are all kinds of ways that you... But when you begin with an I statement, you don't put the person on the... Def- because if you start with you, our tendency, our, our fight or fright, flight response kicks in and we put up our dukes and we're ready to go. But when someone that we care about or have a relationship with says I, we usually lean in a little and we're listening, especially if it's brought to us in a way where we can help make that other person happy or feel loved. So again, I encourage you to go to Gottman.com or look online for the Gottmans and and find out some ways that they teach about how to communicate. I do a lot of communication work when I work with couples. So now, with all that I've shared today, I want to I wanna leave. If you've been feeling and you think it's a bad thing, I hope that this maybe has opened your... Being strong and self-sufficient ought to include a belief in entry need each other. We were made to be dependent on one another. We were made for community. We were made for belonging. And the better we can relate to ourselves, the better we can connect with others and find that dynamic. Thanks, Heather, for spurring these thoughts today. And thank you for listening to Volume 19A of Dropping Keys. You can find me at joelmorgan.com or at joelmorgancc on Facebook and Instagram. You can find my book, every single day on my website or on Amazon. Drop me a note if this podcast connected with you. I'd love to hear from you. May the sage drop the key to unlock the cage in which you find yourself. Till next time.